0: Thank you for listening to this podcast one production available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast
1: One. Each week, when you join me, Podcast One, we are going to chase down our goals, overcome adversity, and set you up for a better tomorrow. After Thursday, come on this journey with me. Hi, and welcome back! I'm so excited that you're joining me again today. And today I wanted to share the story of how I came to write a book and how I actually executed and did it because I get a lot of questions about writing a book and I have to tell you that writing a book was never something that I had thought about that I ever thought I was going to do. You know, when you're young, you're put into these different lanes and I was always the social one or the sales one. I certainly was not the literary one or the writer, and I uh, I still can't. I, I think it's surreal that I have a book out. So it just goes to show that if I was able to write a book, absolutely anyone can, and that means you if you want to. But I believe that everyone has a story, and uh, it's really it's important to share your story, and it's something that. You'll have forever. So, and it's a lot easier than what people try to make it out to be. Um, after going through the experience and not knowing what I was doing and being scared and and not knowing if anyone would like it or if I'd sell any copies, you know, there was so much fear that crept in for me. And I've just realized that for a long time in my life, I was stuck in the familiar. Right? People will say, um, you know, get comfortable with uncomfortable or I wasn't comfortable in my old job um, back in corporate America. I was being treated badly. I was being bullied and harassed by a nasty villain, and that was uncomfortable. However, it was familiar to me because over the years, it had been going on. It started slowly. It, it, It got much worse. So I was very familiar with this negative situation. And because I was familiar with it, the payoff for me was my steady paycheck, or I thought my safe paycheck. I was wrong because I got fired, so it wasn't steady or safe. So that unknown and that idea of getting out of familiar and making that leap, that's what held me there. I was so petrified of what would I do? So I'm sure you already know, I ended up getting fired actually two years ago. Um, My two-year anniversary was this weekend, and... Jeez, a lot has happened in two years. But when that occurred, it was July 27th, 2017. I went under a weighted blanket. I was a complete disaster, bawling my eyes out. I was just a mess. And I ended ended up putting it out on social media that I got fired. And a lot of people showed up and really tried to help me, one of which was Froggy from Elvis Duran. I went on the Elvis Duran show and... During that show, Elvis Duran said to me, well, Heather, obviously you're writing a book. Now, I wasn't writing a book. And I said, well, obviously, because he felt so confident in the fact that I was doing it. I felt, oh, okay, I guess I'll write a book. And so I left New York after that interview, jumped on a plane and Googled, how do you write a book? And I'll save you the time from having to search this up. Ultimately, you just start writing. That's it. People want to overthink it and make it so much harder than it actually is. But you just have to be disciplined and sit down and write. And so I made a commitment. I I would write four to five hours a day. And within the first couple of weeks, I started writing about the nasty villain and how she bullied me and how I hated her. But over time, it morphed into me writing about different times in my life where I'd been kicked in the teeth or knocked down and I got back up and here's how I did it. And so within a month, I knew I was writing about how I created confidence and how I was going to do it again because, yet again, I had been knocked down and I needed to create more sustainable confidence this time. And I ultimately created this blueprint. I started not knowing what I was doing. I mocked up a book. Where I just put white paper over another book and signed my name to the bottom of it to kind of give myself that visual of what I was creating. And over time, it became clear that I was writing this blueprint. I was using my low moments to showcase how I got knocked down and how I got back up. And then I realized I needed an editor. So I went on LinkedIn. I reached out to people in my network. And I ended up finding Ryan uh, Dempsey in in Los Angeles. And he was fantastic. And it was serendipitous. We went to the same high school. And uh, it worked out great. So I sent him this Data download, you know, these, all these files I had written uh, on my computer. And within a week, maybe two weeks tops, he got me back a rough draft outline, a first draft of my book. And it was so surreal and crazy. And he organized it. And I give him all the credit for, you know, the way that the book is organized was really because of his vision, which was fantastic. I didn't know how to organize a book or structure it. But it it didn't matter. None of that stuff made me stop and say, I'm not doing this. I just kept writing and creating files, and I'd save the files and just putting more and more and more. Some of the stuff we cut out of the book. Some of the stuff we added more in. But you have to start somewhere and just take that step. And for me, it was making the commitment to sit down and write now. I didn't know if I'd sell any books. I didn't know if anyone would ever like my book. So I decided to set a low expectation for myself so I could move forward, which was, if this book helps one person, then I've done my job. And lowering that pressure on myself allowed me to keep moving forward. And right before I was going to launch my book, I shared it with the closest people in my life And a couple of my family members told me not to launch it. And I got scared again. And I took all that self-doubt and fear on and went under the weighted blanket. But this time I had learned that if I reach out to someone who's light years ahead of me, they'll help me figure out a way. So I reached back out to my editor, Ryan, and I told him the fears that I was taking on from these people and he shared with me that, no, it you know, if I was telling my story and if I was coming from a place of good and I was being authentic, I had nothing to worry about. I needed to move forward with this idea of the book. It was done and we needed to produce it. And I, I heard him loud and clear and I took that leap of faith. Again, I was petrified. So. It was a really scary process, but it wasn't hard. And don't overthink it if you are thinking, it doesn't have to be about writing a book, but you know, just don't overthink anything. Take action, listen to your instinct and intuition and move forward with it. That's how you figure things out is taking the leap of faith. You've got to start moving and taking action and creating. And I'm so glad I did. Now, once we got the book done, then it starts the self-publishing process, right? Which posed another challenge, How do you self-publish? I don't know how to do that. So I Googled, as always. Thank you, Google, for finding all these solutions for me. And I found this company called Scribe Media that this is what they do. They are experts in self-publishing, experts in writing books, editing books, creating books. They knew how to get an ISBN number. They knew about layouts and fonts and word counts and these things I didn't know. So I decided to go with Scribe Media, and I'm very glad I did. And this is not an ad for them at all. You know, I didn't know what I was doing, and I took this leap of faith to hire this company to help me learn how to self-publish. And they're experts in it again. They've done thousands and thousands of books. Most recently, they did David Goggins. So that um, that was pretty exciting to hear. So they've done major, major books and... Uh, They did mine, so they do everything from if you want if you want to write a book but you don't have time. They'll give you a ghost editor that will ultimately write the book for you. For you, you have calls with them. I didn't go that route, but they have everything from a ghost editor to write the book to a you know static editor to. All these different features to creating the cover and they make it very easy so bottom line is i had my challenges along the way like anything didn't know what i was doing and had to figure it out there were mistakes on both ends with me and with scribe media so i ended up getting to know the president and ceo jt pretty well because He dove in when he saw there were some challenges. My cover was wrong on the initial delivery, which ended up being great because I love the cover now. But, you know, all these trials and tribulations and challenges and fails and pivots along the way. And JT and I developed a professional relationship where I knew I could trust him and count on him. And I was really grateful that I ended up working with them. So overall, this time, I am constantly asked about, you know, how do you write a book, blah, blah, blah. And I want people to know that Scribe really can make it so easy for you. So I decided I wanted to have JT on the show because not only is he a great business partner and a great guy to work with, Uh, but he also has the most exceptional life story, and his book is amazing, and I actually read it on the flight out to Austin when I went to interview him a couple of weeks ago. As I always say, going face-to-face is everything, and I'm so grateful that after, you know, this year that he and I knew each other over the phone that we finally got to meet, and he's a really fantastic uh, human being and person, and and we wow i was blown away by his story and it just reminds me that no matter what adversity you faced in your past in your life in your upbringing You can overcome anything, and JT really lives that. He lives it every day, but when you hear his story and and what he's been able to overcome, it'll wipe all of your excuses out. So I hope you love JT as much as I do, and I can't wait to hear what you think. If you read his book, if you've ever grown up with challenges, poor, gosh, you have to read his book. It's mind-blowing, but he basically takes all the challenges that he had And figures out a way to put it to work for him now in business. And he's become incredibly successful. So Pluto TV is the leading free streaming television service. Watch over 100 TV channels and thousands of movies on demand, all completely for free. Pluto TV never asks for a credit card. You don't even need to sign up to watch for free. Pluto TV is the easy and completely legal way to watch your favorite TV shows and hit movies for free. What are you waiting for? Never pay for TV again by downloading Pluto TV. You can download Pluto TV for free on all of your favorite devices today, including your phone, Roku, Amazon Fire, Apple TV, Smart TVs, PlayStation, and anywhere and everywhere else that you stream. Pluto TV. Hi and welcome back. I'm so excited to introduce to you my next guest, J.T. McCormick, an amazing author and not only an amazing author of the book I Got There, which I'm obsessed with. I just read it but also someone that I hired. I'm his client and is the reason why my book, Confidence Creator, is out there live. I self-published my book in conjunction with him, I, I hired his company, Scribe Media, and this is why my book is out there. So, JT McCormick, he's the CEO and president of Scribe Media. Thank you so much for being here.
0: The legendary Heather Monahan. How are you, ma'am?
1: I'm um, great. We've worked together for over a year, and today's the first day we're meeting face to face. Yes,
0: yes. Well, we have we, first time we've met face to face, but we have had a very we've had several conversations <laughs> <laughs> in Texas messages.
1: Yeah, we have. That is um, that is for sure. We can get into that. But I really wanted to start off from my peeps is I want to get into having just read your book and, and I know a lot about you now. You know, my show is all about creating confidence, overcoming adversity and how to reach success, which obviously you've reached. You're really at a pinnacle of success right now. I don't think a lot of people understand your background and where you came from and, and the poverty and the abuse and homeless. And I just I wanted to see if you could get into a little bit about where you're from and how you got to where you are today.
0: Wow. You know, that's an open ended question. So I tell you what, give, give me a direct question to dive into there because that's that's so open ended. Where, where, do, where do you want me to start?
1: So if you you know, I want people to know that your father was a pimp. Yes. And your mother grew up in foster care, an orphanage. Orphanage. And your parents had a really rough upbringing, both of them. And it translated to your childhood being really awful, in my opinion, and really hard. And so many people see that as a one-way ticket to unhappiness, you know, negative environment, going to jail, dealing drugs, doing drugs, whatever that may be. But you found a way to turn that into something different. And and that magic dust, whatever that is, is what I want to grab hold of for, for everyone listening. So you, you
0: kind of you nailed it there. Yeah, my, my father was a black pimp in the 1970s. He was a pimp and drug dealer. My mother was an orphan, grew up in an orphanage in the 1950s, institutional orphanage where the kids were abused, beaten, neglected. My mother, when she turned 17 years old, they gave her $20, a small suitcase, and they said, good luck to you. There's a world. We know you've never been outside of these four walls, but there it is. Have at it. Unfortunately for my mother, the one of the first people she met was my well-dressed, fast-talking, quite a bit older father. When I say quite a bit older, I have a half-sister who is five years younger than my mother. And so my father was quite a bit older. He also fathered 23 children. So I have 22 siblings, half-brothers and sisters. I'm the only one by my mother. And I I share this with people. I'm only here to this day because the first time my mother got pregnant, she had an abortion. And this was back in 1970. Abortion was illegal. So she had a back alley illegal abortion that was so horrific that the second time she got pregnant, she said, okay, I'll take my chances raising a child versus have an abortion again. So you got to imagine that had to be a traumatic experience that she went through. So truth be told, I'm fine with this. My mother should have never have had me. But one of the greatest things that I've been very proud of my mother is she didn't go have six more. She had me. Call me a mistake, whatever you, you want to say. She had me. She should not have had me. But she didn't go and have six more children. So yeah, that's that's what I was born into the world. I don't know where my last name comes from. When I was born, my mother uh, took herself to the hospital. My father was nowhere to be found. So my mother rode the bus to the hospital when she went to labor. He wasn't there. I was born. I was all she had in the world. She gave me her last name. Problem with that is We don't know where the last name comes from. She was given that last name in the orphanage. So I've got this last name McCormick. Don't know where it comes from to this day. Um, From there, yeah, back and forth, uh, poverty, growing up poor, eating out of trash cans, why all the other kids went to recess. I'd stay back and pull trash out of the trash cans to, to eat. And what's interesting, you said this about confidence. It was in those moments of growing up that I eliminated three words from my vocabulary, hope, wish, and luck. And many people will say to me, why? And I said, well, when I was a kid, I would hope there was something to eat when I got home. It never produced anything. So I stopped hoping. And when I would open the refrigerator and I would wish there was something in there, it never produced anything. So I stopped wishing. And then luck well, for everyone who says the Powerball winner is, is lucky, they just won the Powerball. No, they bought a ticket. There was, some, there was an action that was taken, so there is no luck. So hope, wish, and luck, I do not use those words. I live in belief because belief forces execution. You can sit back and say, oh, I, I hope I have a house like that one day. I wish I had a house like that. Well, you can hope and wish all day, but if you believe you will have one, then you have to execute and do something to go get it. So confidence for me at times, I shared this with you, I don't believe confidence is built. I believe it's a choice. You wake up each morning, you say to yourself, okay, I'm going to be confident today or I'm going to be timid and meek. Is the glass half full or is it half empty? I've always looked at it as half full. How do I continue to fill it up? Well, Negativity has never done anything for anyone. So I choose to be positive. I choose to be confident. And so for me, confidence is not built. It is a choice. You choose to wake up confident or you choose to wake up timid and meek.
1: But JT, people also need to know, obviously, during the struggle that you've had, which is exceptional, there were times you had to be down. Uh,
0: You know, as a kid, of course, you know, when, when I was sexually molested... By one of my father's prostitutes. You know, it was one of the hardest things because it was confusing. You're six, seven, eight years old, and you've got this prostitute, and, and she's forcing you to go down on her or perform oral sex on her. And then when I didn't do it right, she would slap me in the face and punch me in the head. And I I didn't know what don't do it right mean. Well, I'm six, seven, eight years old. What does do it right mean? And so yeah, there were there were times like that. And then I was really confused because I knew if I told my mother, she'd never let me see my father again. So you carried this as a child with you. Th- those were, were hard moments. There were hard moments when I was living with my dad because my mother was fa- facing welfare fraud. Those were hard. Uh, when I was left with my three half-brothers and sisters for three weeks, uh, th- th- this is the greatest stress I've ever faced. You're going to say there was some hard time. There is no stress greater that I have ever faced in my life. I'm 47 years old. The three weeks when I was left with my half-brothers and sisters, it was February, Dayton, Ohio. Every day, almost hourly, the stress that I lived with in fear that they would disconnect the electricity and we would freeze. The fact that they would shut off the water and we wouldn't have any water to drink or take a bath with.
1: How old were all the kids then?
0: I was 12 and my sister was four. My other sister was three and my little brother was two.
1: And you were providing for and caring for all of them.
0: I was going to the store, stealing food, coming back. I'd have the four-year-old babysit while I walked down to the store and stole food. I came back. Yeah, I, I bathed them. I, I never left them. Have people have asked me, hey, when did you first know you were going to go into leadership? <laughs> when I was 12. And I made the choice that, yes, I'm supposed to be in school, but I will not leave my brothers and sisters. But the stress of just worried, are they going to turn off the electricity every day? Even not right long now, long. It, it it brings tears to my eyes because it was so stressful. And so scaling a company, income statements, balance sheets, uh, culture, all those things, there's no stress like just... Oh my God, they're going to turn off the electricity. What are we going to
1: do? So anytime you're faced with a difficult time in your life now as an adult, when you are in business, you're able to leverage those times as indicators why, okay, you can get through this.
0: So it's it's interesting. I I appreciate that. Sometimes, yes, but really I live on this word. I I love this word, perspective. I have that story to lean on. I have that memory to lean on and and what it was like to to live in that. But actually what I lean on more for inspiration and when I think about tough times that I may be going through right now, I think about people in this moment here and now. The single mom of two that's walking 1,100 miles up from Honduras to try to get into this country. 1,100 miles with nothing but maybe a backpack and I got two kids. Damn it, I was born in this country and I went through some things, but I've never had to face that. That mom and dad that are in Syria thinking about getting on a blow up raft to, to cross the Mediterranean Sea, I've never had to face that. I actually look at different things now and the the present more than I do my background. I, I went through that, I find the benefits from it, and I look at the positives, even even that, that that three weeks that I was left, the positive from that, that taught me, okay. I can get through anything. If I can get through that, I can get through anything.
1: I couldn't agree with you more. Some of life's worst experiences for us teach us that we can survive and that that's an indicator that we're gonna survive at all. Totally,
0: totally. And, and it's interesting, I, I survived as a child. My mother and I used to always say this as well. We survived, we didn't live. And when you survive, there's a lot of suffering that comes with, with survival because you're just trying to survive. I really haven't lived until my adulthood and even more so probably the last eight years since I met my wife. Because for the longest I struggled, I could not carry a relationship. I was a monster. I had I had no, no role models. No one taught me what, what's a family structure look like? What's a relationship look like? And so I don't have many regrets, but I do have a lot of remorse for how I treated a lot of women in relationships that I was in. Because I had to really look at myself in the mirror and say, damn, you you ended up a lot like your father. And that was hard. To, you weren't to...
1: beating women in the I street. Didn't beat,
0: I didn't beat women in the street. No, I, I didn't. But, but my mentality, my I, I was verbally abusive. Very much so. And so what
1: changed it for you? What made you decide you had to do some self-work?
0: When I went broke, <laughs> I had made a million dollars. And I lost it all. And... I remember when I was in my apartment, broke, and, and I'll even give you the scenario. I went to the store one night, it was about 10, 30, 11 o'clock at night, and I went to the store, and I had $10 and quarters in my hand, and I went to the cashier and I said, could I have uh, $10 on number seven? I was gonna get gas. And I remember how humiliated I was because I was thinking to myself, you got a million dollars, and you're back in this moment again. What, what what happened? What'd you do? And so I went and got my gas, went home. And I remember looking in the mirror and having a full blown conversation out loud with myself. And I said, you know what? Here you are. You had money. Now you don't have money. And you're left with nothing else but your character. Who are you as a man now? Who are you going to be going forward? You weren't a good person, you know, for for years who are you going to be going forward? And that became the, real, the switch for me on, okay, I want to be a better man. I want to be a better person. And diving into that, that was the switch. Because you can make a lot of money, and that was great, but I still had a bad character. And who you are when no one is looking is who you are when everyone is looking. And that became my big change point.
1: And then you implemented the same skills and tactics that you had implemented previously in business, which were to grind it out, work yep. everyone, do everything to the best, whether it's cleaning toilets or selling mortgages. You were, you were just going to grind that out and be the best at it.
0: Be the best at, at anything that I did. Matter of fact, Heather, this is, this is interesting. This only came out about three months ago. I struggled and I would never want to give my father credit for this and three months ago, I finally just said it out loud, gave him credit. When I stood and I looked at those toilets, it was my first job cleaning toilets in the restaurant, and I looked at them and I said, okay, if this is my job, I'm going to have the cleanest toilets in all of San Antonio, the whole state of Texas, so on and so forth. What I've never said out loud was that mentality or that, that phrase came from my father. When I was a kid, And I don't know why he said this to us. He said, whatever you do in life, be the best at it. (laughs) He said, if you're going to be a street sweeper, his specific words, if you're going to be a street sweeper, make sure you sweep the best streets. And your streets are the cleanest ever. And that stuck with me. And from there on, I've always tried to be the best at anything that I did.
1: And then how do you go from, from that conversation and, and gleaning that insight from him to how many years not speaking to him to showing up at his funeral?
0: Oh, um, you know, when I showed up to his funeral, I didn't know the person who was in the casket. That wasn't my dad. My, my dad was this very charismatic person. Everyone loved him, even, even though he was a pimp and he did what he did. and He was a drug dealer. Um, everyone loved him. That's who I knew. I didn't know this old, wrinkly, gray guy that was in the cask. I had no clue who who that was. So it was a very interesting dynamic for me to be there because I didn't have a lot of... um, There wasn't a lot of tearful emotion for that person. There was tearful emotion because I was hearing stories from all of these pimps and people talking about my father, things that I didn't know, and a little animosity because the things that they were saying, some very positive. But for me, I'm like, I don't remember that person. I remember being a six year old kid waiting for this man to pick me up and I'm never showing up for hours on end. Um, So that moment was very, it it was tough. And then to go and pay for his funeral because he died flat broke. You know, you've never met a retired pimp and drug dealer. He died flat broke. I paid for his funeral. I, I was glad that I went. I made my peace And the big thing for me was I just didn't want him waiting for me to show up like I used to wait for him to show
1: up. But what I like most about that story and what you did to me that spoke the most to me is that you stood up to actually speak at that detail. which was really ballsy. You know, um,
0: everything that was being said was positive. And that's not who I remembered. That wasn't the father that, that I knew. You know, everybody had these great stories. And, and I guess, you know, these are the things that you say at a funeral, which let me let me sidetrack for a minute. Funerals are, excuse my language, are effing dumb. You stand up and you say all of these nice things about this individual. Most of which, 70% of this, the person that's dead never even knew people felt this
1: way. Right. Why did you wait till now? Why did you wait till now? <laughs> Why don't we share this it's with So people? True. Right. Yeah, like,
0: okay, funerals are dumb. But um, yeah, it, it. I just felt a, a responsibility to go say my piece and say this is this is a person that that I remember. But I was happy that you know I buried him and he he. Be it heaven, be it hell, wherever he is, he didn't have to wait for me to to, to show up. But yeah, I felt the necessary to speak my piece and be done with it. Um, Some someone asked me. You know, do I have any animosity towards my father or whatever? My father lived his life. You know, he he did what he did. You know, obviously he didn't value family. He had 23 children and, 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 you know, didn't take care of any of us. So he obviously didn't value family. But, now, you know, it's – I look back at my father and I took the pieces that I could to either benefit myself or learn and – there is value in seeing negativity. My father never taught me how to be a father, but he did teach me how not to be a father. There's there's benefit in there. There's a positive there.
1: If you choose to see it. If
0: you choose to see it. Yeah. And that's how I've always chosen to see my background. What are the positives that I can take? You know, the, the that positive moment of him telling me, no matter what you do, be the best at it. That's a positive. Um, another one that's recently come up for me that I've openly admitted. My father was leaning on a bookshelf one night and I think it was like two in the morning. Why I was awake with my half brothers and sisters. I have no clue, but, uh, he leaned on the bookshelf and he looked at us and he said, don't ever end up like me. Don't ever end up like this. And the damnedest thing, he never said what he was talking about. So you were left to figure out what is he talking about? So for me, what that said was, don't be a pimp. Don't be a drug dealer. Uh, don't all the things that you see negative about your father, don't be those things. And I, I don't drink. I don't smoke. I don't do any drugs. I didn't end up a pimp. I've got, <laughs> I've got one wife. All four children are mine. I take care of. all the things when he said that, I guess, stuck with me. Okay, that's what I'm not supposed to be. Right. Took me a while to get there, but, you know. 40 years I got my my act right on treating women respectfully and having a
1: great family. It's amazing what you've gone through. And your business trajectory is equally as amazing. And the reason why I see that, as I mentioned to you before, we have in some regards very similar upbringings. A lot of loss, a lot of fear, you know, um, a lack of, of having certain things. And transitioning that into drive. and you definitely did that through your insurance days, mortgage days, <laughs> the software company, right? So you've you've done the lowest of the low positions, but always accelerated yourself and asked for advancement, which is something that I think is really important. A lot of people don't do, even though you do a great job in those low level positions, people will stay there. Right. They're not thinking bigger. The theme with you that I took is you're always thinking bigger and you're always asking. Why is that? You know,
0: I look by this. You can ask for everything. The worst someone can say to me is no. That's it. And if you do say no to me, I've got no more or no less than I did before I asked the question. So why not ask? Because you may just say yes and I'll end up with more. I'll give her credit. My third grade teacher, Mrs. Dedeck. She said, there are no dumb or stupid questions. Excuse me. And I ran with that. And I've always asked questions for everything. I'm not afraid to ask. All you can say is no. Um, And a big piece of that comes as well. I remember coming home asking if we were going to eat dinner and hearing no. That hurts because as a child, there's nothing you can do. But if I'm in sales and I'm prospecting and I'm calling the Fortune 1000 and I call number one and they say no, I've got 999 other people that I'm going to find someone that's going to say yes. So I've always taken that no just means not right now. So I'll call you again next quarter. Um, But yeah, you can ask for everything. And that's that's just it. You, You nailed it. So many of us are sitting back waiting for someone to come and give us something or recognize us. No, I'm going to ask. And God forbid you ask me what I want, I'm going to tell you. You I remember Mr. Gentry, when I was with the payday loan companies, he said, hell, son, what do you want? And I said, I want to be in the picture with you and the vice presidents up there on the wall. (laughs) And he even said, he goes, hell, son, you got some balls on you. I go, hey, you asked me what I wanted. All you can tell me is no.
1: Well... You ended up getting that. I mean, he, Give me that. <laughs> he ended up promoting you. You you moved to Oregon, but what you did was you built up credibility, and I liken this to myself as well. As long as you listen, going to Oregon, I'm sure wasn't the dream job. You liked it there, whatever. You had your own adversity that you faced living there, but you took one property to three properties to eight properties, and had the idea to acquire the other companies and did the due diligence to figure out there were some laws in place in Oregon that yeah. people weren't aware of.
0: Yeah, I, I mean. I'll never say that I'm, I, I struggle with self-made because yes, there are people who have helped you along the way. You are I, self-made, please. I, I appreciate that. <laughs> but, but I am definitely, I don't stray away from this. I am definitely self-taught. You know, I've always dug into teaching myself everything down to the basics uh, of levels. Uh, and my favorite, one of my favorite moments is when Mr. Gentry, I was in Portland. I had only been there 30 days and he calls up and he says i want you to go to eugene oregon and open a new office and all i said was yes sir and he said do you need anything from me no sir and i remember hanging up the phone and i sat back and i go what the hell where's eugene oregon and i said to myself okay well first probably need to find where eugene oregon is let's do that two need to drive there i drove i got there said okay now what do i do Probably need to find a location. And everything I've done in life has been self-taught, from learning how to invest in stocks, to income statements and balance sheets, EBITDA, you name it. its It's been self-taught.
1: Right, because you were not an academic. In so oh, God, long. no.
0: I I can't, we we joke here, here I am, it's the damnedest thing, CEO of a publishing company, and I can't tell you an adverb from an adjective, and I damn sure can't spell. I I mean this sincerely. It sounds like a joke, but I mean this with all sincerity. One of the top five people I would like to meet is the man or woman who created spell check, because good God, you've been influential in my career, because I can't spell. (laughs) So it's, I am not an academic, but business, I, I love it. I love business. I love investing. And I I would like to say I found my lane in life. And when I look at the chaos that I grew up in as a child and take some of those lessons as a child and put them into the, the business world, it, it all makes sense to me. It just kind of slows down. And, and some of it, <laughs> I got in trouble when I, I said this, but I'm going to say it again because I don't really care about getting in trouble when I said it. There are things that go on in the hood that actually are the same in corporate America. Completely. And so, you know, when I'm mentoring youth, I explain this to them. This isn't what I got in trouble for. I'll I'll get back to that one. But I explained to the youth that I mentor, the high-risk youth, I said, look, dress code is everywhere. I said, guys, you know we can't go into certain neighborhoods with certain colors on, right? right? And they're like, yeah, yeah. I said, well, guess what? You can't go into certain meetings Without a certain outfit on, be it slacks, tucked in shirt. Sometimes it may be a suit and tie. I go, dress code is wherever you go. I said, if we go work at McDonald's, guess what? We have a dress code. We have the uniform we have to wear. Dress code is throughout. Be it going into the hood, certain neighborhoods, be it going into corporate America. It clicked for them. That made sense. Mm-hmm. The thing that I got in trouble for, and I stand <laughs> by this, is <laughs> pharmaceutical reps And that whole pharma industry is a legalized drug deal. We all know, every drug dealer knows this. The first rule is the money is in the comeback. I give you the first sample for free. You like it. You get hooked. You come back. A pharmaceutical rep goes to the doctor's office, gives out free samples, The doctor then gives free samples to the patient. The patient likes it, comes back to the doctor, asks for a prescription. Doctor writes a prescription, sends it to to Walgreens, CVS, whoever. Then they pick it up. If you look at it, it's actually a flawed system. There's too many people getting getting paid out of of that system. The drug deal on the street, it's the same thing. They give you the free one. You get hooked. You come back. And you've probably got three layers of that drug deal. You've got the kingpin who's sending it in. The person who's running the city, and you've got the person, the the people who, the pharmaceutical reps out on the corners. It's the same system. One's legal, one's not.
1: So the, what you did was you were an observer to what you grew up in, and you're just observing now in corporate America and in different environments and applying that same methodology of what worked, what didn't, and it kind of came together for you to help you advance together. in business.
0: It, it, exactly. Communication, communication. Shaking hands, the greatest less, the lessons that I share with the high-risk youth now that I mentor are the greatest lessons that I, I've, I've learned in life. How to shake someone's hand, look them in the eye, and say, nice to meet you. How to say, yes, ma'am, yes, sir, thank you, please. Um, do you have any employment opportunities? All of these different things have helped me in life. Attention to detail. I've, I've spoken with, we have people here who have PhDs from, from Harvard. No one yet has been able to tell me that they've been, they've learned attention to detail in college. So attention to detail, punctuality, uh, the greatest one for me, do what you say. How, how about that? If, if I say, hey, Heather, I'm going to have those books in New York. I'm going to have those books in New York. Do what you say you're going to do. It, it's such an easy concept, but... Somewhere along the line, the, these these valuable lessons in our country have just gone, gone by the wayside.
1: JT, so as you moved up in all these situations, you ended up in boardrooms with a number of people from Ivy League schools, and in different occasions, they would inquire, what school did you go to? And you did not graduate from college. No. What, were there times that that weighed on you? Did you feel insecure? How did you handle that? Oh my God.
0: Gr- graduate from college. Heather, you know this. I... I barely graduated from high school when when I got reunited with my mother in Texas at 15. She had me tested, and I was only uh, testing on a fifth or sixth grade level at the age of 15. To this day, I don't hold a pen or pencil the right the right way. Yeah, but
1: people need to know you were virtually homeless for a few years. I was between 10 and 15. Yes, there's reason for that. And,
0: And so, but you know, I get the job done. And so that's, that's what matters. But, yes, didn't graduate uh, in the traditional sense high school. I had to go to summer school, take some remedial courses, take courses to get my high school diploma. Uh, got that. Never graduated college. And so I spent 25-plus years intimidated by people who had that damn degree. God forbid you had a master's or a PhD. Just I mean, there was so much imposter syndrome when I was the president at at a software company. You had people there who had worked at NASA. There were people who had multiple master's degrees. I'm like, okay, I don't even have one, you got two? And and so there was so much imposter syndrome of I'm the president of a software company and I can't write code. And these people have multiple degrees. And I had always lived in this this intimidation of not having those academic credentials. I'll forever give him credit for it. Uh, Tucker, he said, it's actually a benefit for you. He said, I wouldn't say it's for everyone, for you, that you don't have a degree. Because the things that you've learned and how you've learned them have helped you in business that, you may have been clouded or by getting a degree in the typical academic way may have actually not been a benefit for, for you. And he was the first person, first person, I was 45 years old. He was the first person that told me, he goes, damn, you're one of the fastest learners I've ever met. No one had ever told me I was a fast learner ever. <laughs> I had never heard that.
1: I'm shocked to hear that, knowing what you've done in business. I I was shocked
0: to hear that I was a fast learner.
1: <laughs> because sometimes we only believe the self-limiting belief that we have for ourselves yes. until someone else tells us.
0: Yes. I knew internally that I would always say to myself, okay, no matter what, I'm going to figure this out. I'm going to get it done. If it, and I knew if someone else was going to work 50 hours, I'll work 60. You work 70, I'll work 80. I, I knew I would always do everything I needed to do to succeed I knew I had that internally, but I had never had anyone verbally out loud say, you're, damn, you're a fast learner. Not only a fast learner, but to hear someone who went to the University of Chicago, someone who went to Duke Law School say, you're one of the fastest learners I've ever met. I, I was shocked
1: by it that. It gave you that validation yeah, that you've saying, been wanting huh, for a okay, long time.
0: Maybe I kind of know couple
1: things so do you ever feel that imposter syndrome or do you feel guilty nowadays that you are the CEO you are the president you're running this large company and now you do want to take vacation with your family you do spend time and leave leave work to go be with your family I know you did not live that way for the majority of your life (laughs) do do I feel guilty about it now yeah do you ever feel that imposter like I shouldn't really be going home right now I should put the extra hours in
0: you know I'm not a fan of of the term work-life balance I, I edit this out of people. I think it's bullshit and the reason why I say that is because life is just life you, you have to work you have to pay your bills you have to support your family you have to have some retirement so on and so forth so I believe in you you take your life and you figure out how are you going to balance your life not work-life balance so for me there's five things God, health, family, business, and investing. If it doesn't fall within those five, I don't touch it. You know, I, I'd like to believe I've made a little bit of money. I could probably afford ESPN on the Direct TV subscription, but I don't have ESPN because unless Tom Brady is sending me part of his twenty million dollar contract, <laughs> I, I, I don't care. And so I don't, I don't watch uh, ESPN. Uh, I watch CNBC, I watch Bloomberg because though you know the financial channels because that's what what I love. I love golf, but I've not played golf in probably three years because I rather spend that four and a half hours with my family. So that's life and, and I love my life. So even when I go home, uh, you know if I leave early, took the kids in we do bath we read some some books maybe you know I'm sitting on the couch with my wife we have some discussions she she dozes off yeah i'm i'm right back into to bloomberg i'm right back into scale and growth and and how are we going to grow this company so i don't ever really uh, have a a shutdown period you know i took the kids last year in may for the first time my first time in life we went to disney world <laughs> spared zero expense and and so uh but yeah when everyone Shut it down at night, and everyone fell asleep because they were exhausted. Yeah, I sat, did a little little bit of work, and I love it. Because that's what you love. That's what I love. And so there's no – I know people have looked at me and said, that's ridiculous that you did that. Like when I was at the software company in five years, I only took 11 days vacation. There's that picture of me uh, where I'm in the delivery room with my wife during the, the, the birth of my firstborn, and my laptop's open in the background. And people will say, oh, it's insane, it's stupid, it's ridiculous. No, that's how I became president of a software company. Because I was always willing to do what other people aren't to succeed. And in many ways, because I didn't have that degree. Because Heather, you've heard this. Everyone would preach, oh, got to have something to fall back on. Got to have something to fall back on. I didn't have that degree to fall back on. Although I think it's a bullshit comment. But I didn't have the degree to fall back on. My fallback was I will just outwork you. Right. That was my fallback.
1: I had the same one. So what do you think about your your kids and going to college? I mean, are you going to push them so hard? Are you like, A's, A's, A's? What is it like now? Because they have a completely different life than you.
0: So I I am man enough to admit, and these are vulnerable moments. It scares me a little bit because... I know the day's going to come where my daughter's going to bring some homework home that I can't help her with.
1: Wait, it already happens to me. My son's in fifth grade.
0: Come on. (laughs) Please. So that, you know, but but, but I joke with my wife. I go, but hey, I made enough money. Hire a tutor. Right. Uh, So I'm in a fortunate uh, position where financially... If they choose to go to college, if one of them gets accepted to Harvard Medical School, I will pay every dime of it. <laughs> and so, but but here, here's the thing. I'm not a A's, A's, A's. I want my children to truly see life, not be stressed by it, understand the, the, the good, the bad. I don't want to protect them. Uh, a great example of this I showed my daughter the other day some images of children that were homeless in India, and someone said to me, they go, well, don't you think your daughter, she's only five, don't you think that's a little too young to show her images like that? I said, so let me get this straight. The five-year-old who's homeless isn't too young to be homeless, but my five-year-old who lives in a gated community is too young to see it? No, no. And, and you know, I won't allow my kids to read my book until they're maybe 10, 11, 12 years old, but... I want them to know what I came from, what I went through to right. to get to where I am. So I'm not going to like push college if they want to go, great. But if one of my kids say, hey, Dad, I'd like to start a business, I'd say, okay, here's what you got to do. You need to go work with someone for a year, get some work experience, see how the, the, the real world works. Then let's talk about investing 50 grand to, to start a business for you. They say, hey, Dad, I want to go to college. You know, okay, great. Let's let's do the the college thing. What I won't finance is if somebody says, "Hey dad, I want to go backpack Europe for 6 months." Yeah, you're on your own.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I completely agree. Yeah. cbdistillery.com is giving you an exclusive offer and it's huge right now. You can get up to 30% off everything. If you've struggled with sleep, stress, or pain after physical activity, cbdistillery.com That's cbdistillery.com and enter VIP at cbdistillery.com. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, and South Dakota. So you brought up your book, and I I know that for you that was a really difficult, cathartic, amazing experience, similar to me because we did more of autobiographies. Yep. A lot of people don't do that, but you know many of us do, and it, it's a really amazing experience. And your company, Scribe, has made it incredibly turnkey whether you've never written a book, whether you don't really want to write, you want someone to be your ghostwriter, whether you're like me, you've written a book and you don't know how to get an IBSN number and I don't know how to get it into Amazon (laughs) and I don't know how to make a cover go on. I didn't know any of those things. So how did Scribe come to be and how did you guys make it so easy?
0: So you had the two co-founders, Tucker and Zach. Two great guys, phenomenal idea, and you know Tucker's one of three people in the history of the world that have had uh, three books on the New York Times bestseller list nonfiction simultaneously. There's only three people in the history of the world that have done that, and he's, he's one of them. So he started this company. Everything was going great. They were profitable, beautiful, and I went to do my book with them. Tucker comes to my office, and, and I'll give you this quick story. Tucker, we, the way we got introduced, Jason Dorsey sends an email and says, JT, this is Tucker. Tucker's JT. You know, the traditional introduction. In a separate email, Jason sends to me. He goes, hey, that's the real Tucker Max. I didn't know who Tucker was. So I emailed him back, and I said, hey, I'm the real JT McCormick. What's up? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Tucker comes to the office. We meet. One thing leads to another. I started doing my book with him. He said, hey, will you give me feedback on the process as you go through it? I started giving me feedback. He said, hey, would you be an advisor? I said, okay. Tucker didn't know I was looking to transition out of the, the software company anyway because, one, well, again, I wasn't passionate about writing code. And so one thing led to another. I woke up one day, and, and I was the CEO and president of uh, Scribe, and, and they did my book. And why I had this deep love for the company is my book would not have been possible without this company. I can't sit down and write. There was, that wasn't going to happen. So enabling me to just sit down and speak my book and someone to make it flow correctly, to make sure it's grammatically correct, punctuation, proofread the, the, all of that. And to capture my, my tone, my voice. One of my favorite moments when I worked with, with my scribe, uh, Amanda, Amanda is from Vermont and she's her family summers in Maine. When I was on the phone with Amanda doing my book, I go, Summers? What would I go? <laughs> I've never heard summers. What? And so she explained to me I had never heard the word. But then when I started going into my content and I said, bottom bitch. And I said, Trap House, she had never heard that before. <laughs> and so here we had this great dynamic of I was learning from her. She was learning from me. But it really made me break down the details uh, of my book so she could understand it. And so the reader could understand it. And that, that was just magical that I could speak that and here this beautiful book came out from manuscript content, cover design, like you said, interior layout, uh, get it up on Amazon. And you know this. I never wanted my book to be public. I wanted five copies. I never wanted this book to be uh, public w- whatsoever because of some of the stories that are in there. I-, I was still with imposter syndrome. You know, I knew people were now going to know, wow, his father was a pimp? 23 children? He doesn't know where his last name comes from? He doesn't have a college degree. I mean, because I know there's people out there that, I thought JT had an MBA. If you thought that, we, hey, I just ran with it. And so I never wanted that book to be public, but then through a lot of conversations, support, encouragement, we made it public, and it just took on a life of its own.
1: Did that get rid of the imposter syndrome for you, putting the book out there?
0: It did. The book was, one, it was therapeutic because I had stories in me that I swore were going to the bottom of the ocean. You know, the story in there where I threw my baby sister across the room when she was six months old. Uh, she landed on the couch. She was, she was safe. Um, I swore that story was going to the bottom of the ocean. And, and with the, the damnedest thing with, with God and timing and everything, the only reason why that story made it to the book, my father had passed away while we were doing the book. I went to the funeral saw my baby sister that I actually threw across the room I shared it with her and she cried with me and she said it's okay I know what we came from I know what we were going through she goes it's not your fault and I felt that forgiveness that I had that peace and then I said okay I'm gonna put that in the book because that was that's a deep story for me and I finally felt at peace to to share it and put it in the book. And again, it, I only wanted it for my kids, but it it was out. It, it wasn't just sitting with me anymore. So the book was very therapeutic for me, and and it did release a little bit of uh, imposter syndrome because it was like, hey, this is who I am now. You know, I go by JT, but my real name's Javon. My name's Javon Thomas McCormick. father's was a pimp. You know, half white, half black barely have a high school diploma and here this is me so it's so
1: freeing I feel writing a book and putting your secrets and your shame out there because it's like ripping that band-aid off fast it's just over
0: totally even even in, in business you know our our society is it's the damnedest thing. We all have this nerve where we'll say, Oh, we learn the most through our mistakes. We learn the most through our mistakes. But if you go to LinkedIn, you go to blog posts. We're only talking about uh, the highlights. Right, no one's mistakes. right. Like, right, what kind right. Of shit is this? And so I I literally all my teaching comes from the mistakes that I've made over over my business career and in life. I teach through my mistakes. I share through my mistakes. I did this wrong. I did this wrong. And yeah, I'll throw in a few successes along the way, but I share my mistakes and I find that to be important because if we truly learn the most from our mistakes, then why are more of us sharing You've our gotta mistakes? Share it. Right. Yeah. I mean, You're right. we're, it's everyone. Top 5 things Jeff Bezos has done for to to be successful. Elon Musk, Steve Jobs. Help give me the top 10 mistake list. I want that one. Give give me that list. Right. And I'll spare you of this next tangent. I find it interesting as well. We're a culture of work-life balance, work-life balance. But everybody is celebrating Bezos, Jobs, and Elon Musk. And those three gentlemen are not the definition of work-life balance. But Fair everybody wants to celebrate them. You're so right. I, it's it's um, mind-blowing to me.
1: It's a, a bit misled. Okay, so tell me when in your life have you struggled with your confidence the most? hmm
0: when it's interesting i would struggle outwardly not having the degree that's where the confidence was always but inwardly if that if that's a word sorry inward i didn't struggle because i always knew okay i may not have this degree i may not have this mba oh but i i would look at people and i'd smile and i'm looking at you the whole time i'm saying okay i'll work your ass You've got that master's. You've got that, that degree from Pepperdine, Harvard, whatever. Oh, they didn't teach you how to outwork me. They didn't teach you that. There's no piece of paper so, you'll ever have.
1: what is that? Is that vision? Is that manifesting? Is that belief?
0: Belief. Belief. If, I, I say this all the time, and I, I found this when, at some of the lowest points in, in my life. Self-love is so important because if you can't love yourself first... How can you really expect anybody else to love you? You can't. And so I always just had this self-love and belief in myself that, okay, I will get through this. The sun will still come up tomorrow. Traffic will still be bad. And and I still got to pay taxes. So, But I've always just had a belief that, okay, confidence and belief, that's all I got. I'm going to make it happen.
1: Well, you definitely have done that, and you just shared with that. me <laughs> you did David Goggins' book, and I yes. did not even realize that
0: we did David Goggins' book. That was a, a true honor to to do his book. That book was huge for when to say it was like ten weeks. He had the second most sought after book in America, second only to Michelle Obama. Uh, book was huge, and that's a scribe book. That's a scribe book. Matter of fact, um, give you the, give you the story. The day after Christmas, I had to jump on a plane and go to God knows where, Minnesota to meet with our printer because the book was in such demand. We needed to get the book printed faster. So the day after Christmas, I had to head up to literally two hours north of Minneapolis. I was closer to Canada than I I was to the States uh, to work on getting his book printed because it was so popular.
1: But those are the things that you do, and that's why I like working with you is that anytime a challenge hits, you are there. Like you said, your word is your word, and you come through, even though it might be a real pain at certain times. Oh, yeah. It, it's
0: it's it's one of the lessons, like I said, it, it took me 40 years, 30, 38 to 40 years to, to finally get there, but uh, I, I learned it from my Uncle Bobby. You know, if you say you're gonna do something, you gotta do it. it and I didn't always live by that. But 38, 39, it all started kicking in for me. And, you know, you got to live by your word. If you say you're going to do it, you got to do it. And society's kind of made it easy because so many people don't do what they say they're going to do. Right. So it's like, okay, if that's the bar. Okay, I, I can make that happen. But, yeah, do what you say you're going to do and go the extra mile. You know, when you're in the restroom, if there's a paper towel on the floor, pick it up. Pick it up. What, what, it takes you literally two seconds to, to, to pick up the paper towel. Um so, yeah, go, go the extra mile. Who you are when no one's looking is who you are when everyone's looking.
1: So if you have a book out there and you're inside of you and you want it to come out of you, Scribe is obviously the place to go.
0: We, we can uh, turn your idea into a book. And, and I'll share. You and I were talking about this. My mother would say this to me when I was a kid. Everyone has a story. So don't judge because you don't know their story. And we truly believe that that's literally for us at the company. We truly believe everyone has a story. We do believe everyone should have a book. Maybe their book's not to get on stage. Maybe their book's not for lead generation, thought leadership, credibility. Maybe their book's a memoir. Maybe it's for their family. Maybe it's therapeutic for them. But everyone has a book.
1: But I'll tell you, for me going into entrepreneurship, For me, the first step was writing the book and then not knowing how to self-publish and finding you and then publishing. That really became the epicenter of my brand, which helped me to create my brand and the concept around confidence. Taking those steps sometimes and just having faith in your ideas and what's inside of you and then working with a partner that can advance you rapidly because this is your expertise really can move you in a completely new direction.
0: Oh, totally. And and we, we say this on our welcome calls now. We would rather hurt your feelings than publish a bad book. So if we've got to say, hey, Heather, ugh, this is a, the wrong direction. We've got a course correct. And Heather, we need to scratch that. Heather, that chapter, that's a bad chapter. Uh, you know, that's what we're willing to do. You know, uh, Truth be told, we actually turn down about 30% of the people who come to us. And I'll give you the top two reasons why. People have a great book idea, but not enough content. That's number one we, you know, because the worst thing that can happen is you decide to do a book and at the end of this process, you're not happy with your book because you didn't have the content. So we want to make sure up front we, we walk you through the process and make sure you have enough content for a book. Number two reason we won't work with someone and, and many times this is the number one reason. Someone comes to us and they say they want to be a New York Times bestselling author and sell a million copies. That individual is looking for fame. You got to call the Kardashians. It's not our business model, so it, it's. You know, Although
1: David Goggins was able to reach he, it, he nailed it.
0: But you know <laughs> that wasn't what that wasn't was his goal, right. exactly. Right. You know, if that's the goal, you know this, Heather. So few people hit that list ever sell sure. a million copies. It's such a a just hit or miss type thing. You you've got some of the greatest books that have ever been written that have never seen the light of day of a, of a New York Times best selling list
1: but how do they find Scribe if they want to? If they've got an idea inside of them, they want to get a book out there. How do they find Scribe?
0: Scribemedia.com, Scribewriting.com. We will, you can set an appointment with us. Our author strategist will walk you through it. We'll Is there a cost for that call? Yes. Uh, no, not for the call no, at all. They can you walk
1: through it. and just learn about yes, Scribe. just
0: learn about it, what we do. And I would even say this. If you really want to learn about us, go to the website. We put testimonial stories on there. There's videos on there. Uh, All the content you could ever want. Every question about writing a book, who should write a book, why you should write your book. Everything you can think of is is on that site.
1: And it's so much easier than I think people understand.
0: Yes. Yes. And how do they find
1: you, JT? Oh,
0: gosh. Uh, (laughs) LinkedIn's the easiest place to find me.
1: LinkedIn's the best. That's what business gets done. Yes.
0: I I share my mistakes on LinkedIn. So every Tuesday, I, I post my thoughts my mistakes lessons and every tuesday that's that's where you can find me
1: well i appreciate your time today i know how busy you are so we'll let you go jt but check out scribe i am a scribe author that's where confidence creator got published from so check it out support my peeps and i will put scribe in the show notes and jt thank you so much
0: thank you ma'am and get heather's book
1: oh yeah confidence creator there you go baby all right, (laughs) right we'll be right back hang with me I hope you loved meeting JT and definitely got some value from his story and and the adversity that he's overcome. Nothing is impossible. That is definitely what I'm reminded after speaking and meeting with JT is my excuses are out the window. If he could make this happen, anyone can, just like me writing a book. It's so bizarre. So this weekend, I spent nearly the entire weekend in my house organizing, decluttering, getting rid of clothes that didn't fit, getting rid of my son's clothes that didn't fit, and putting some structure into my house. And I have to tell you, I started this week feeling amazing, proud, fantastic, And anytime – I talk a lot about getting rid of negativity from your life, firing the villains, and that's so critical in creating success for yourself. But it's also critical in decluttering and getting rid of anything negative in your home, too. There was this painting that really drove me crazy in my house, and I got rid of it. And I swear, I just feel like this great vibe in my home – And I feel so good. So please take the time to not only get rid of the villains in your life, but declutter and and get rid of any negativity in your house so that you feel strong and confident at home too. It's really made a big difference for me just in the past couple of days. I'm I'm so glad I took the weekend to do this. So today I wanted to, of course, answer a couple of questions. Uh, I had put a post on LinkedIn the other day about, Hey, if you're dreading going to work on a Sunday night, it's because you're in the wrong job, work for the wrong person, in the wrong industry, or with the wrong company, but it's up to you now to make a move. And I got a question back from someone who follows me on LinkedIn, and it says, how do I stop the mind chatter of Sunday night? It's the worst. I can't sleep. All I do is lay here thinking about what to do on Monday. Crazy, I've even taken up vaping CBD, and it seems to help a little bit but I hate to have to turn to drugs to fall asleep. Do you have any ideas? Well, here's the thing, right? This is so obvious to me. You are in the wrong job. You are working for the wrong person. You are in the wrong company, industry, et cetera. Something's not a fit there. So you need to figure out, what is your superpower? What is it that you love to do? If money didn't matter, if you know whatever commitments to other people or whatever didn't matter, what is it that you would do? What do you want to do? And find a way to start working on that project in you know on your weekends at night in your free time and update your resume. Start reaching out to your network and ask people, hey, I'm looking to make a move. I'm not in the right company. I need to create some change. Do you have ideas? Start brainstorming with others. Start Googling for other opportunities that might be out there. Get some referrals and reviews from your clients, existing clients, update it on LinkedIn, updated on your resume, and start taking action to get yourself out of that situation. No one should have to take drugs to go to bed on a Sunday night because they're dreading Monday morning. That is a major red alert, wake up call. You've got to take action and make a change. Okay, so then I received uh, another note, another DM actually on Instagram, and This person had gone for a raise and had articulated in the email to me or a note to me that they, you know, don't care for the company that they work for. However, they need their job. And they were scared about going for a raise. And I gave some feedback on how to do it. Well, this person got a proposal from the company that they would give a 2% raise, which is essentially nothing. And this person reached back out and said, listen, 2%. but this person reached out via email, which I don't agree with, but reached out via email and said, listen, 2% is not going to work, and um, I'm suggesting you know 5 or 10%, and they never even responded to the email or acknowledged it. And then this person says, I know I need to leave, I'm done growing, but I can't, or I feel like I can't because of bills in my life, why do I feel like I can't stand up and just say so? They say, sorry, this is just how we do things. So, there's a couple different ways to handle this. Number one, you have to go face to face. It's so easy to say no to someone on email. So, you need to sit across from someone. You need to bring in your work into that meeting. You need to bring in the reviews of your work, the feedback you've got from your boss, showing that you've been doing your job, showing your meeting exceeding expectations. And then you need to say, I'm confused. I'm really confused here. The feedback I have from you and from my clients is that you're happy with me. I'm doing a great job. However, that's not reflective in this 2% increase. I think we both can agree that the increase in business I brought in, the, the relationships, the feedback, the collaboration, et cetera, whatever it is that you're doing that's great, warrants at least a 10% increase. Can you explain to me where the breakdown is here? Because what you need to find out is you might not be dealing with the ultimate decision maker. Maybe this person doesn't have a budget to give you the kind of money that you want and they need to find it from another department. So then you need to go with that manager to another higher-up manager to access you know, additional revenues. Maybe this person just can't even sign off on it and is embarrassed to tell you that. You've got to dig down to what is the real issue. Maybe the issue is that boss doesn't like you and doesn't want you there and that's something you need to know too so gain more insight and information by getting a face-to-face meeting by letting them know you're confused that this doesn't match up or align with the feedback you had been getting and get to the bottom of what's really going on however by the way this person was talking about this company and this job it does not sound like it's a good place to be so again update your resume, update your LinkedIn, and lean into valuing yourself by starting to get yourself out of there. That is always the right answer. Put you first and take care of you. Invest in you. So thank you so much yet again for being with me today. Please subscribe, rate, and review. It helps immensely. And if you like this podcast, share it with your friends, post it on social. Uh, It means the world to me. Till next week, keep creating confidence, and I'm right there with you. Hi.